So I've been reading this book by Marcus Borg and John Dominic Crossan called The Last Week, What the Gospels Really Teach About Jesus' Final Days in Jerusalem. Um, it's essentially a commentary on the Gospel of Mark, particularly Mark chapters 11 through 16, which uh, it just follows the story of Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem all the way through to the, you know, the Last Supper, the betrayal, the crucifixion, his death, um, and the resurrection. Uh, historically, we've called that kind of section, Jesus' story, the passion of the Christ, the, the passion of Jesus. And, and when we talk about his passion, this is oftentimes what we're referring to is these events of that last week of his life. But what it, an interesting thing that Borg and Crossan do, though, is that they lift up that the whole reason for those events in that last week are because of Jesus' passion. His passion is for the kingdom of God. His passion is his lifetime commitment to the values of what he called the kingdom of God. His passion is for this vision that he lifts up over and over and over again through the Gospel of Mark and in all of the Gospels. His passion is his willingness to give himself wholeheartedly to this vision. At the core, Jesus' passion is about justice. Jesus stood over against any system that sought to devalue or discount or dehumanize or marginalize or otherwise dominate and control people through violent oppression. Jesus' passion is about justice. He calls upon governments and religious authorities to uphold the human dignity of each individual and to work on behalf of the least powerful, most marginalized of any society. And Jesus confronts anyone who supports a status quo of haves and have-nots, and he is especially critical of any religious expression that supports inequality, tyranny, and violence of any sort. In Mark, when Jesus teaches about the kingdom of God, he's talking about a system of justice, mutuality, and equanimity, a system rooted in love for God, demonstrated in how one treats one's neighbors. Jesus is not against the Judaism of his day. Jesus is not even against Rome. He is against what Borg and Crossan call domination systems, any system wielding power through violence, including any religious system that is co-opted into such domination. Jesus does not get killed only as a sacrifice for sin to let us off the hook. Jesus gets killed because he calls out religious authorities who use their position to support power maintained through violence and oppression. Jesus' passion is for justice, and a violent world kills him to silence him. When we first meet Paul in the scriptures, as we read today, his name is Saul in the book of Acts, right? 
And Saul, when we first see him in Acts, is standing in agreement with the religious leaders who are stoning Stephen to death because of Stephen's association with Jesus. Saul is holding the coats of those who throw the stones, supporting the violent oppression of an individual who challenged religious authority. Saul is a religious authority. (laughs) He's a religious elite. He's a citizen of the Roman Empire. He has the best education. He has the best upbringing. He knows all the right people. He knows all the right theologies and interpretations of Scripture. He knows how to play the political game to rise through the ranks and become a person of means, a person of authority and power. Saul's passion is his religion. Saul is addicted to his need to be right. Saul is certain this Jesus movement must be stamped out by whatever means necessary. Saul is so deep into this domination system that that he doesn't even, or that he gladly endorses violence to support its goals. Saul is the picture of privilege and power wielded for the benefit of a few at the expense of the many. This is Saul's passion. Until one day, as we read this morning, on the road to Damascus to kill followers of Jesus, Saul is confronted in a vision. Saul, why are you persecuting me? Jesus' passion is alive and well. The resurrected Christ shines white light on Saul, we might say, blinding him, sending him into the city helpless. And as the story unfolds, we eventually realize that Saul sees the light. And after a long period of kind of unlearning and having to relearn some things, he's renamed Paul. And he becomes one of the greatest teachers that the church has known. Jesus' passion becomes Paul's passion. And Paul is mocked and beaten and jailed and tortured and eventually beheaded by a violent, unjust world. In each of the gospel accounts, Peter and the other disciples continue to default to domination system thinking. When Jesus teaches about his cross and how his confrontation with religious and political authority will result in his death, Peter, speaking for all of them, says, no, this should never happen to you. To which Jesus says, what, remember? Get behind me, right? In other words, watch. Follow. Keep awake. And again and again, throughout the gospel accounts, Jesus, setting his face towards Jerusalem, determined to walk the path of nonviolent confrontation with the violent powers of this world again and again. Jesus invites his followers, his students, to pay attention, to trust. And again and again, they don't get it. They assume that Jesus is trying to build an oppositional government, right? And that some like righteous violence will rule the day. But Jesus is operating in an entirely different value system. A system he called the kingdom of God. A system outside and above every human system ever. 
Jesus' passion is the kingdom of God. Imagine a vision of humanity as God intended us to be, a picture of belonging and acceptance, a system where when mistakes are made, there is forgiveness, a vision of a world where all have what they need, that no one lacks anything, and all are mindful to care for one another in harmony and in peace. And it's a vision of a real world. He isn't just touting some pie in the sky after we die kind of idea. Jesus' passion for the kingdom of God is about turning every human domination system on its head and building a world of nonviolent cooperation, coordination, peace, and well-being for everyone. And it starts, Jesus teaches, from the tiniest seed, just a bit of leaven in the bread. It's grassroots, and it grows. It is growing. It is ultimately what the world will actually be like. And it's compelling, huh? people have responded to it, especially the poor and the marginalized. Jesus' miracles of feeding and healing, these are signs of how it works, how even what we understand is like the natural order of things can be turned upside down by this reign, this authority, this kingdom, this power of God. And Jesus attracted crowds, thousands of admirers, and, and he had an inner circle of students who were trying to learn from him. And he had an inner, inner circle of those who were closest to him, his friends, his family of choice, we might say today. He was loved, but no one shared his passion. And when Jesus was betrayed and arrested, his followers fled. Not one remained at his side. Peter denies even knowing him, not once, but three times. And Jesus dies alone staked out, not as a martyr, but as a terrorist. Rome, with the consent of the religious authorities, grinding <coughs> in a very public display. Jesus' passion is for justice. And a violent world kills him to silence him. And on the third day, the tomb is empty. Our faith is founded on an empty tomb. Consider that for a moment. Everything you see here, the long history of this congregation, the long history of the church, is founded on the simple fact that the tomb is empty.
Jesus appears, scarred but alive. First to the women, (laughs) make note of that, and then to the community. The domination system that still exists, but its power is broken. It cannot hold him down. The kingdom of God reigns triumphant, not through violent oppression, but through the power of love, through the power of nonviolent equanimity. Jesus is Lord is the earliest confession of the church. And it is a statement that turns the world upside down. It's a shorthand way of describing what I've offered for you to think about today. That the crucified and resurrected Christ is Lord. That his vision is reality. That Jesus is the ultimate authority. And in the Gospel of John, as we read for today, when the resurrected Jesus meets Peter at the shore beside a charcoal fire, a similar sort of fire beside which Peter denied him three times, Jesus extols Peter three times, feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. In other words, if you love me, Peter, Be about my business. Let my passion be your passion. Let the kingdom of God rule your life. And know this, Peter, that if you love me, it's going to cost you. You're going to get dirty. You're going to have to work on behalf of people who make you uncomfortable. You're going to have to accept people you don't want to accept. You're going to have to surrender your privilege and your power. You're going to have to lose some friends. Your own family might even turn on you. If you love me, Peter, it will mean nonviolent confrontation with violent domination systems wherever they are found and however they operate, and that will cost you. If you love me, Peter, it means a cross. It means anguish and death. Whether a little death, like the loss of your reputation, or the actual death of martyrdom. Following me, Jesus says, loving me will mean loss. Maybe that's why so few throughout history have actually had the courage to do it. But those who have, have changed the world. Do you love me? Jesus asks. Notice he doesn't ask if you love the sheep. (laughs) Your feelings about the sheep are irrelevant. Do you love me? Jesus asks. Feed my lambs. Tend my sheep. Feed my sheep.